Bienvenido, ahora está escuchando el Paseo Podcast, donde destacamos las historias de, por y para la comunidad puertorriqueña. Bienvenidos a todos tuning into the Paseo Podcast, where we highlight stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community. My name is Joshua Smizer de Leon, and I am happy you joined us today wherever and whenever you are listening to this. We have started this podcast as a way to bring attention to the diverse and vibrant stories that make up the Puerto Rican communities here on Paseo Boricua in Chicago and around the world. From La Isla to the diaspora, we hope you enjoy what you hear. We invited Puerto Rican muralist Cristian Roldan on the podcast to discuss his artwork, the experiences that guide and influence it, the importance of public art, and some advice for artists that want to share their art with their community, with the world, but aren't quite sure where to start. We are sitting here in the Puerto Rican cultural studios with Cristian Roldan, a Puerto Rican muralist, who, if you're not familiar, just walk through Chicago, especially Paseo Boricua, you will see his art and his creativity on full display. Welcome to the Paseo podcast. What should our audience know about you? Hey, thank you for having me here, Joshua. Uh, I came from the island to Chicago five years ago, and um, I started my career here in uh, Chicago. It had been like a great opportunity to be welcomed here in this community and to develop my art career here. I was reading an interview that you gave. In this interview, you said, I spent my whole life in this identity limbo. And you said, when I came to this neighborhood, I saw this as a space where I could recreate myself. Were you a muralist when you were on the island or did you get into into this art form when you came to Chicago? No, I was not a muralist when I came uh, from the island. Uh, I studied sociology in the island. And um, it was here in Paseo Boricua when I started participating in, in the artwork for uh, the festival and the activities that were happening around the neighborhood that I was asked to do a mural. And um, that was my second mural that I did. I did one small one in the island, but it was um, I never follow up with it. So... How does that even work? How do you? Because I've seen your artwork and it looks like you've been doing it for a while. So you, so you came here and were like, "Yeah, this is just something I'm gonna do." What made you think you could even do this? When I was 16, there was a summer job, and they teach us how to do like a big wall by grids. So mm-hmm. you do the image in a paper, and um, and use um, make a grid of that image. And you do the same in the wall. So you start doing like square by square. So it was pretty easy to like put together a whole big image with our projector. Mm. So I think that experience, I keep it on the back of my head. I never thought about like that I was going to be doing this or anything. But um, as soon as I started doing it, um, and people start like coming to you, asking you questions. I was like... Hey, I like this. I, I like doing this. Yeah. Um, people bring you water. People were very like, um, como se dice? Eh, it was like a very like um, a communal mindset. And I feel welcome. I feel like at home. 
It was very different from Avondale where I saw, when I moved the first time. <laughs> yes. And Avondale used to be, there used to be a lot of Puerto Ricans that used to live there too, way yeah. back in the day. But you look at Avondale compared to Paseo Boricua and it's yeah. night and day nowadays. Not at all. Not yeah, not right. Okay. So in high school, you started being exposed to how to create art. You went to college and studied sociology. How does your studies with sociology inform the artwork that you put together? I think it's my artwork cannot be outside of what I learned from sociology. That was like what built my critical thinking mind. Before that, you know, you live in uh, you live in Puerto Rico and uh, you take classes, and um, some point um, you don't they don't teach you to think critically in the school. So when I started studying sociology and reading like authors like. Uh, Paulo Freire, Rosa de Luxemburgo. So I started like questioning like uh, the reality that I was taught. What was like normal, what was like a socially constructed. And that built like a kind of like an ideology mindset. So with Paulo Freire, the scholar Paulo Freire, one of the things that he says is that when you come to a community, you have to base, be based, uh, whatever you do, working with the community on dialogue. And the way that you opposing to the bank education when people are indoctrinated and they're like taught how to think and what to think, the problem posing question is doesn't have an agenda, an end. So it's something that it comes from a conversation and from there comes the outcome of the knowledge. One of the, of the articles that I read was an interview with, uh, with Tom Finkenpair um, where Freire speaks about like how can you use public art to pro- problematize, to like enable conscientization, and uh, he says that it's like through dialogue and through codification. So what he means by codification is that you take a problem, that is what the community, what the people who are living in that space, feel that is relevant to them, instead of like you deciding what are the needs, the same people decide what are the needs. Once you understand what it is and you have the conversation, then you build a, a codification. It's like, how can you use the public art or like the artwork to make people think like further than what they have in front of the eyes and on the daily life? So the way that I feel is that my vision about the world is like a collective one about how can I be an agent of change? How can I uh, enhance others to think critically? And one of the ways that I feel that is doing it is to like, doing like pop art that is strong enough to subtract somebody from their daily reality and to step a moment and say, and think like, wait, what is going on here? How did that speak, how did this speaks to me? What is this art about? So um, public art, it sculpts the space. It changes how um, the aesthetics and the surroundings on, on the on the neighborhoods. So if you're gonna like um, put something out there, it should be something that speaks to the people who are living the space. You're not gonna put an image of um, on something that is irrelevant for them. Otherwise, you're imposing yourself. I feel that art itself. Um, it helps me to deliver not only my thoughts, but simulate somebody else's imagination to think 
differently about something. Once you start thinking different about something, then you start questioning what is uh, constructed and what can be changed and what cannot be changed, what is natural and what is like uh, constructed for someone's benefits or for someone's reality and uh, what includes and what ex excludes. You know, as I was younger, I'd walk around, be in the car and, and see these beautiful pieces of art taking up these public spaces, very public facing, not really taking a deep dive into the imagery and the significance of things like the color that was used, the faces that were shown, how the different images that made up this beautiful art piece interacted with one another, and just the symbolism that each of those elements represented. As I grew older, I realized that the taking up public space, the significance of public art is so much more than just contributing to the overall art of the city and actually served a purpose to share our stories. And I feel like a lot of the art that you put together, some tell your own personal story, some tell the story of gentrification, some are telling the story of what we've seen recently happen in Puerto Rico with our whole hashtag movement. And that is, a, if you haven't seen that piece, definitely Google it, it's pretty great. Can you talk a little bit about the significance of taking up public space to tell our stories? Why is that? Why is that important? Well, for me, it's relevant because um, our history is not taught on school. So um, it's very watered down version. So I feel that public art can um, compile a series of things, not only the message that it encodes, but also um, part of our history and part of our elements that are part um, that, that are inherent of our collective memory. So one of the problems that we face is the collective memory because um, we are a nation of nomads. We keep every generation have a wave of migration because of the financial um, scarcity on the island and the colonial laws restrictions that we have. So we all this like a movement out of the island, you get an erosion of our history. When you start uh, realizing that uh, you don't understand very much about your history compared with, uh, with like other nations, sometimes you, you feel that you know more about another nation than about your own. Because our education is more like uh, Eurocentric. Um, I feel that when you put something out there like a vejigante, for example, mm -hmm. uh, somebody, uh, people ask like, uh, hey, what is that about? Mm -hmm. A lot of people on this knows a vejigante, but doesn't know the story behind doesn't know that it's part of a, of a way of the African diaspora to preserve these beliefs and to create their traditions. Yeah, the intersectionality of one's identity. Yeah. That question of where, who am I? Yeah. Where do I come from? Where, what are my roots? So what, what history, what identity, what roots can I connect with? As someone who's half Spanish and half Puerto Rican, you know, this duality and identity of having roots in the oppressor and roots in the oppressed is something that is like, how do I make sense of that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like how, how, you know, so I, I can only imagine having your roots tracing back not only to Europe, but our tai, but the Tainos and to, and to uh, Africans, like 
how does that all come together to to create the Puerto Rican identity and how do we express that in a way that is inclusive of that history? When you're developing a piece of public art, how do you incorporate that that identity into that? First of all, everything that I'm going to do is by default is going to be Puerto Rican art. Mm-hmm. So I'm Puerto Rican. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think that I have to like force it because mm-hmm. it's like it's always there. If uh, every time that I do like a, an art piece or something, I either put like a little coquitaino somewhere mm-hmm. or something that like there's part of my identity. I feel uh-huh. that it's more difficult to not include it than yeah. to include it. Like, yeah. you know, to include it, it just happens happens natural you know you, mm-hmm. you either put like a taino you put like a flag or you put like a petroglyphic from the tainos or you put like a bomba plena it's a very rich culture it's um we don't we don't always realize it but we got like plena we got bomba we got like the taino identity the petroglyphicos we got the noche de san juan we got so much you mentioned being in avondale before when you first came to the states yeah and then coming to paseo and how different that was yeah to you, from your perspective, what makes Paseo Boricua so significant? So, when I came to Chicago, I didn't, I didn't really want it to, to, to be in Chicago. I came here because uh, my father's twin, she lived here, and it was like any easier, not an easy start. It was not easy at all, but it was easier than if I would have uh, gone to somewhere that I didn't know anyone. Cause I didn't, ha- I didn't really have like any kind of financial security, any kind of money. I, I had nothing, only twenty dollars on my, po- uh, my, on my pocket, and uh, <laughs> and the flight ticket. The difference is like uh, when I was in Avondale, I feel like, I feel like totally like a stranger, to everyone that I met. I feel like uh, like a total outsider, mm-hmm. and you know I didn't feel that I have the space to recreate my culture. And um, to express myself without feeling that I could make someone else uncomfortable. So when I came to Paseo, it was like a couple months later, like uh, two, three months later, I came here and I started working with the Puerto Rican Culture Center. And I feel that um, the way that the culture was here, it makes it gives me the space and the freedom to be myself, to express myself without being like in a, an alert state that it, like somebody will say something that um, I will offend someone or that I will not fit well in the, in the space. And I think there was something like very peculiar of Chicago that in every different neighborhood that you go, it's like a different like a silent code of norms and a way of acting. And um, the best one that I fit is the one that is of my culture. You know? <laughs> Even though that I love to like uh, having time, spending time in La Villita and, and Pearson too. Of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Humboldt Park, it was like another part, uh, an extension of, uh, of my island. And it was it's something that I really, really craved the first four months that I was living in, uh, in Avondale. The food, the speaking in Spanish, um, the way of speaking, the phrases, the jokes, the sayings. And think of the word hospitality and the importance of that hospitality. Here on Paseo Boricua, when you, when you came here, can you share an experience that really stood out to you? Or like, uh, was there something that someone did, said, invited you to that made you feel like, okay, this is home? Well, when I was like painting the murals, for example, 
people just came by, they bring food, they bring water. It's that kind of hospitality that you find in the island. Uh, I found it here too. Great. And then how did you paint that first mural? So I was working for the Puerto Rican Cultural Center and um, they knew that I, I designed. So I told Jose Lopez um, that I do that I have done on one mural in Puerto Rico that it was the only one that I have done mm-hmm. <laughs> in the island. Wish I would love to come back and do like a bigger one like 10 years after with a better like skill. But he told me that, okay, um, on this abandoned spaces, uh, you can do a mural for uh, Calle, that there was the town that we're inviting for Fiesta Boricua. So I did it next year. They asked me to paint the family dollar there is a huge wall, and we paint it um, only with the with the resources of the community. You know, it's not a rich community; it's a marginalized community. So, all we had was uh, paint brushes and uh, ladders, which it was a little bit. Uh, I w- it was a little bit difficult because, like, at some point you're afraid that yeah, you're gonna fall from the ladder, you're gonna break your leg or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that but, sounds uh, terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> jeez. <laughs> but uh, someone not watching where they're walking, yeah, <laughs> just it, knocking it like, into um, it. Up to twenty feet, you know. Painting there for hours and hours. Uh, but yeah, uh, we did it. We make it happen, and uh, and just like inside of like that story, I feel that instead of a story of the mural, there's too many stories mm-hmm. that overlaps. Not only the before, the after, and the during the process, what the what the picture, the image, um, shows, what it encodes. There's too many layers that you can just keep like um, bifurcating into like I don't know to to what level, but yeah, it was fun. It's a fun process. Um, you meet a lot of people from the community. And that's when I start like knowing like everybody around here. That's awesome. That's great. So I I do have a couple of other questions yeah. before we wrap up. For any for any people out there listening that want to become muralists, that want to express their art with the world, with their community, is there any advice that you would give to those individuals that don't know where to start or how to get into that? You gotta hustle. You gotta just do it. You gotta start. Like, don't compare yourself to anyone. Don't compare yourself to anyone. If you see somebody who's doing it, um, I think that's the be- the, the first start. Because the people who are doing it, like, you can find with them uh, what problems they encounter and avoid them. What things, because uh, there's a lot of things that I wish I would have known. I didn't have, like, a, a mentor for public art. I feel that it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful career, you know. It's a beautiful career, not only because uh, of this, like, mysticism of the bohemian life or the artist life or whatever it is, you know, that people just, like, think about. But because you get to know people, you get to interact, you get to, like, be an agent of culture. You, um, I feel that one of my roles is uh, as an artist, uh, somebody who has a skill, is to use my skill to preserve the collective memory, to advocate to, um, to justice, to freedom, to decolonization, 
to argue against gentrification and to social problems that we encounter in our daily lives. Puerto Rico, if uh, you if you know some some level of, uh, of the political and social and like and the history of it, we have gone through a lot, mm-hmm. and uh, the story needs to be told in order that people take action. I feel that uh, a way of, uh, of decolon- decolonizing people's mind is that whatever talent you have, it doesn't matter if it's art, if it's, a, if it's like accounting, uh, numbers or whatever, how do you use that to emancipate other people? Right on. So for people that want to keep up with you, how can we find you online? Oh, you can find me on Instagram on Art by Roldan, or um, you can write me on my email Roldan at artbyroldan.com. Great. Okay. Well, definitely go check out Cristian's artwork. I'm sure this city, especially Paseo, has not seen the end of the art that you are willing and generous enough to share with us all. Oh, of course so, not. This uh, is too right. much to come. This is just the beginning. <laughs> yeah. So, Christian, thank you for being on. Yeah. Gracias. Thanks again to Christian for being on the show, for coming on the podcast. Without our awesome guests, this podcast would not be possible. And without you, our listeners, this would not be possible. So we really appreciate you listening. If you want to reach out to the show, connect with us by visiting our website, baseomedia.org, emailing us at baseopodcast at gmail.com, and following us at baseopodcast on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a tip, want to pitch a story, or send us a compliment, we love to hear from you. Thanks for downloading this episode, and see you next week. Cuídate. We want to take this moment to say thank you again for listening. When you download our podcast or subscribe to the podcast itself, that makes a world of difference. So gracias for taking your time to listen to us. We also want to take this time to thank the sponsor of today's episode. This episode would not be possible without the generous support of the Puerto Rican Cultural Center. The Puerto Rican Cultural Center, located at 2546 West Division Street, right here in Chicago, is a community-based, grassroots, educational, health, and cultural services organization founded on the principles of self-determination, self-actualization, and self-sufficiency that is all activist-oriented. For more information on the work they do, Give them a visit at their website at prcc-chgo.org. Again, that's prcc-chgo.org. Now, if you or anyone else you know would like to be a sponsor of the Paseo Podcast, please email us at paseopod at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-E-O-P-O-D at gmail.com. Tell them Joshua from Humble Park sent you.